0: Hi, this is Lindsey Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast Friday, January 29th. On this week's edition, we're going to talk about Sarah Huckabee Sanders' candidacy for Arkansas governor. We'll also talk about the latest legislative happenings and COVID-19 and vaccine news. I'm joined, as usual, by Max Brantley. Afternoon. Uh, So, uh, we'd expected this for a while, but Sarah Sanders met it official this week. She is running to be... Arkansas Governor, and she raised a uh, million dollars in four days.
1: Yeah, so she says, although I suspect she'd raise that money before she announced Monday morning. I mean she had a pretty slick video that that, that she unleashed Monday morning. The interesting thing I thought about it was kind of the nationalization of this campaign. Uh, her announcement uh, timing was leaked to national media first, not local media, and I mean I, I hold no. Hard feelings about that because no Huckabee's going to tell me anything anyway. Uh, but but that's it was I think the Washington Post and people like that were the Politico were the first ones to report it. And then there was the, the rollout of the campaign itself. It was done strictly by video, by Facebook, by Twitter. She made no personal appearances, and, and she has to date, that I'm aware, taken not a single live question from a member of the media anywhere in the world about her candidacy. Uh, She's clearly trying to control the message. And then the other national element of it, of course, was the video itself. I guess it was almost eight minutes long. And it opens with a shot of Air Force One and Donald Trump uh, waving on the stairway. And then goes into the beginning of video how proud and wonderful it was to work for such a great man as Donald Trump. She gets around to Arkansas eventually. And what a great place it is, how nobody would want to live anywhere else which probably is one reason why her daddy moved back a a month ago. It would look kind of funny for her to run an ad about the glories of Arkansas while her former governor father was living in Florida, as he had done for 10 years. But uh, she's uh, going all in for Trump, of course, at this point. uh, So are Leslie Rutledge and Tim Griffin. If I were Leslie Rutledge, I'd feel a little bit like a prom day who got stood up after how deep she dove in the tank for donald trump these last four years and for to get get for trump to stand up and give uh sanders an immediate very personal endorsement uh rather than not even saying something nice about leslie in the process I, i think was a little bit of a slap in the face although not unexpected i mean sanders was the most reliable uh huckabee uh trump liar in the press office and uh She played his game, and she was loyal to the end, and he values nothing if not loyalty, although, goodness knows, uh, Leslie Rutledge certainly was his loyal, too, and took the fall on national television time and again for Donald Trump. Uh, Tim Griffin, meanwhile, was not an early Trump supporter, but has done everything he can to say how much he loves him since. It's just going to be disgusting. We've got, uh, you know, at least a year and three months before the Republican primary, and I, I, the, the the spectacle of them crawling all over each other to out trump the other on on right wing politics is kind of awful to contemplate.
0: So we'd have to say that uh, among those, uh, Sanders is the clear favorite, right?
1: Well, that's that's the conventional wisdom. Uh, there there was at least one poll done uh, uh, that privately and it was not done for her it was done shared with one of the other candidates that that showed her the favorite and with with uh, Rutledge far ahead of Tim Griffin I guess it would be because of name recognition and national exposure and 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 the thinking that that being a person so devoted to Donald Trump is a good thing in a state where he got what 62 percent of the vote and there's no sign that the enthusiasm for him has diminished here in Arkansas if you judge by the actions of public officials. So, so I don't know. I I, I mean, I guess that's, that's the case. Ultimately, you know, you have to run and, and Tim Griffin is a slash and burn politician. He hit her the first day catching her on her her uh announcement saying she wanted to have sanctuary cities no sanctuary cities in arkansas and we've already got a law prohibiting sanctuary cities in arkansas which tim griffin pointed out i mean she hasn't been really connected here and so she's got a lot to learn uh, rutledge will say well i've had more experience here on the ground doing real things for arkansas these last six years or eight years it'll be by the time she runs so i don't know and and, and here's, the, here's the thing is, this is going to sound personal, and I guess it is, and, and this is my perception, and, and there are perhaps vast numbers of people who feel differently, but, but I don't find Sarah Sanders a particularly charismatic figure. She, she has, she's inherited her parents' love of sarcasm, uh, you know, she can just be incredibly nasty in response to questions as she was for Donald Trump. I mean, I don't see her as somebody that, I mean, she doesn't, she doesn't have her father's ability to have sort of this funny, friendly, accessible side. I mean, and she's more of her, of her mother than her father, I think. And so I don't know. I mean, she doesn't strike me as just a prototypical great candidate, but, but I, I'm, I'm probably not a very good judge. On the other hand, ne- neither the other two are exactly John F. Kennedy either. So, so there's that.
0: So for those who are not happy with that slate of candidates, there's been a lot of attention uh, paid to Jim Hendren, the former Senate president and nephew of Asa Hutchinson, who, especially this session, as we've discussed, has emerged as as kind of a pragmatic uh, leader in, in the legislature. Uh, he's he's been making some noise on social media and, and has criticized um, Sanders. Um, so. There, you know, there's been some talk about Democrats crossing over to vote in the Republican primary if you decide to, work, to to run as a Republican. There's been some speculation you might run as an independent. That seems unlikely to me. And then talk of former House Speaker Davy Carter maybe getting in as an independent. And then, of course, the Democrats have to run somebody, uh, though— <laughs> Uh, you know, who, who will step up to yeah, do Yeah,
1: they, they, they have to have a candidate to stay qualified for the ballot. You know, that's one thing. Well, Jim Hendren clearly wants to run. I, I still have a very hard time figuring his pathway to victory. And particularly since he's been more outspoken than ever about today, he, he lamented that times weren't like they once were when he was on the picture on the front page of the paper uh, testifying with the Democrat in favor of some piece of legislation or another. This was many years ago. Uh, he's joined hands with some Democrats on the hate crimes legislation. He he has been critical of Donald Trump and, and some things he's said and done. Uh, none of these things seem likely to Carve out much of a place for you in the Republican primary. If, if I just don't think we have a very large percentage of old school Rockefeller style Republicans in Arkansas that'll vote in that primary. And so, even if there was a movement by Democrats to vote in the Republican primary, and I'd certainly consider it if, if the Democratic, there's no contested Democratic race, and Hendren was in the Republican primary. I'd cross over and vote for him. I just don't know if there are enough who would or could do that to make a difference. And I also think there'd be backlash if if there was an open campaign for Democrats to cross over and vote for Hendren. It might hurt him with some Republican voters who might otherwise be inclined. So that just doesn't seem like a very good path to me. And And then there's an independent candidacy and that would be a place where he would hope he could, he would have to hope, for that to work, he'd still have to take a bunch of, he'd have to pick up a lot of Republican votes. And and that's the question, is how firm is this 62% Trump factor? or Are they just all, or are they just strictly voting Republican no matter what? we've sure had a lot of results in recent years that suggests that the case that if you don't have the R after your name, even if you've been an R, you're just not going to get the vote. So I, I just, I just don't know. I, 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 the out, the outlook is not good for a an acceptable winning candidate in 2022, but, but they are smarter people than me in politics. And maybe, maybe Jim Hendren has a plan. Maybe Davey Carter has a plan. Uh. uh I think it would depend. Unfortunately, as bad as I happen to think Huckabee, Griffin, and Rutledge are, they are not like, oh, let's say a Tommy Tuberville, where, where if you got a Republican like David Carter in the race, and you had a Democrat, and then you had a just totally batshit Republican, that, that you might could eke out a third-party win. But the, the other, the other uh, Griffin, Rutledge, and Sanders are, are just not viewed as crazy. I mean, they're just they're just not. I mean, I think they have terrible flaws and, and terrible politics, but but they're just not nuts like some of these people that got elected to Congress from Florida and Colorado and some of these other people. So,
0: do you do you have an opinion on who the best worst candidate is? Uh, if I mean, we we think that it's you know overwhelmingly huh. likely that one of the three will be. Elected, who, who if, you, if you had a gun to your head, would you pick? Well,
1: I've gone back and forth on that. Uh, uh, and I've. Sarah Huckabee Sanders is unacceptable. She's third. She, she's not acceptable in any way, shape, or form. So that leaves you with Griffin and Rutledge. And uh, Tim Griffin is definitely smarter. Than than Rutledge, but he's he's also meaner, uh, and and a Karl Rove acolyte, and will do anything and say anything and stop at nothing to get what he wants. I mean, he was a political hitman for the Bush era, and he would be the same here. I, I happen to think Rutledge is not very smart. And, and of course, she also will prostrate herself for the worst instincts of Arkansans, as she did for Trump and these various issues she's she's round up, round up in the, the the redeeming grace for Rutledge has been that in running the attorney general's office, she has continued to employ some mainstream people who aren't just nuts, <laughs> you know, and so. And this, and whereas Tim Griffin, is his limited hiring as lieutenant governor, has really just gone with, you know, ideological acolytes. And, you know, there are some people that just, I think, are qualified to do their jobs in the attorney general's office and do the best they can. And, you know, that, I mean, they have to fulfill her political agenda when their political agenda is to be fulfilled. But so maybe maybe that's slightly something in her face. I don't know. I mean, I, I can't, I, I his, question.
0: <laughs> that's
1: the, yeah, that's a, I, I've, that's a tough question. Uh, and so what, uh, what is, for, for if I don't vote in the primary, I won't have to make that decision. I'll just vote against whatever token candidate is running against, whichever one wins. So I, I won't have to make that decision.
0: So you mentioned at the beginning that uh, Sanders uh, jumping in the race has made this kind of, kind of a national race, brought national attention to it. Uh, you saw from the uh, Democratic side that Jamie Harrison, the new um, Democratic National uh, Chairman of the Democratic National Com- Committee, uh, was tweeting about the race. Uh, it may be an opportunity for Democrats to raise some money. Is that sort of the best that they can hope for, to raise money and spend it wisely and grow the party? And,
1: uh You know, I guess I, (laughs) after, after what happened last, last year, I just, you know, where they, I mean, the the state party is not very strong, but, but, but as I said at the time, we had, I don't know, six to eight really solid, well-organized, well-financed, attractive candidates for state legislative races. And with a single, very narrow exception, they just all got the crap kicked out of them. I I just think the state is so irretrievably turned that there's not much hope here. And then the Republicans are about to control legislative and congressional redistricting. And they're also going to pass more voter suppression legislation in this session of the legislature. So I just think the short-term outlook for Democrats here is abysmal. and there's, I, I, I can't honestly say anything better than that.
0: Okay, well let's let's move on to our next topic, and that's uh, the state legislature. What what stood out to you this week?
1: Well, you know, they didn't do much this week. It just kind of, you know, there were some there were, you know, some early starts on some hot button, meaningless issues. I mean, I say meaningless like stand your ground and. and You know, religious freedom and this crap all of not letting governors shut down churches during pandemics and stuff. But uh, I mean, the big stuff is kind of behind the scenes. I think that I I, I got I I wrote extensively this morning about an op-ed in the Democrat Gazette by Ken Bragg, a legislator. I mean, there's going to be a massive school voucher expansion effort made this legislation legislative session that's going to be interesting to watch the question of the the agitation for tax cuts i think there'll be a little bit of a pushback even among republicans about giving up a bunch of money to tax cuts now without giving it to state services but we're building a huge surplus that's that's one of the big one of the big issues out there. I, I think we still have coming the fight over how much power the legislature wants the governor to have in terms of executive orders in the pandemic. And, and this church thing was one of them, although he hadn't done anything to churches during the pandemic. But we saw in the Senate, I mean, there's a there's a hard core that is tired of Hutchinson's leadership. And I I think they're going to oppose him as many chances as they can, they're not a majority of the Senate, but they, they can constitute enough to block spending bills. And so that brings us again once more, particularly with the Biden administration, change is likely to change the approach of the federal administration back to health insurance and Arkansas Works and the private option insurance plan. I think the private option is about to expire and is going to have to be renewed. And uh, the Biden administration is not thought to look kindly on waivers like the work rule that Arkansas is still fighting in court to preserve, and it was kind of viewed that that work rule was the only way that Hutchinson got uh, the private option insurance plan to continue the last go round. So, I think that I think that's a big fight that's to come And this bickering in the Senate about Hutchinson on some small issues blocking a his lobbyist spending bill briefly. Kind of just indicates how difficult some of these fights are going to be. I mean, he's kind of in a lame duck phase, and a lot of those senators are feeling their oats. And there's it used to be there were enough Democrats that you could form a coalition between Democrats and a few sane Republicans, but there there are not enough Democrats or sane Republicans anymore.
0: Yeah, a lot of the attention from uh, advocates, uh, education advocates, has been over the, the bills that we talked about last time, and we written about quite a bit on the blog uh, that that prohibit teaching certain materials related to social justice and the sixteen right, the stupid stunt bills. But uh, the the voucher one will be really probably the most consequential of of the session coming. And as we've talked about, there is the interesting dynamic that sometimes emerges where you have very conservative legislators urged on by uh, superintendents um, and, and other education lobbies to to oppose things that that one might think would be kind of typical, typical issues Republicans would support. So that'll be something to watch. And then. Literally, our school district—the the absolute like biggest piece of legislation to watch is Senate Bill 142, and that's the hold harmless bill. And if uh, hold harmless on uh, and on counting enrollment declines uh, against the district, the, the LRSD uh, is down something like 800 pre-K kids, and then uh, 800 to 1,000 K through 12, and that. That has enormous budget implications. If it was only the Little Rock School District affected by this, then I think that you could you safely predict that it would be screwed. But but uh, thankfully for the district, this affects most large districts across the state. So hopefully that coalition of um, you know more pragmatic Republicans and Democrats will will push this through.
1: Well, and and that could, that problem also affects small districts. Just i mean if they lose four students to homeschooling during the pandemic and they're right on the borderline of of the minimum enrollment required to stay in business it can be the difference between their staying in business or not you know so i mean it's so it's it's uh yeah that that has that has universal application and that's the thing that's happened on this voucher bill but it hasn't been filed yet but this article revealed one of the strategies they're going to use to bust up the public school opposition coalition on vouchers is to set up some kind of grant program that will take some of this money created by this this school voucher slush fund and and make it, make it in the form of grants to school districts with high percentages of poor students to try and buy them off of opposition so there's going to be there're going to be a lot of big heavy stuff coming in education.
0: All right. Well, finally, uh, let's talk about COVID-19 and vaccination. Uh, Arkansas, like, uh, most of the country has seen continued declines in, in COVID numbers, though, uh, there's, there's still big concern on, uh, how, uh, variants coming into the state, uh, are going to affect, uh, numbers, uh, You know, that's that's something that in UAMS's latest modeling, it adds in and uh, a fairly bleak projection. And then uh, vaccination, uh, you know, some of the hiccups seem to be getting worked out, but, you know, we're just not getting enough. And that's a problem nationwide. And then, you know, I think there's some interesting logistical questions on um, who who's kind of leading the effort, in some ways it seems like the Pharmacists Association and the kind of mom and pops uh, are, are kind of driving the train, uh, though we have seen some big vaccination clinics from hospitals, and I, I think that there's going to be kind of an interesting story to watch on, uh, on who's, who's kind of leading the, the rollout.
1: Yeah, I think some other states have done a better job at having some mass vaccination efforts, but it's not wholly wrong for the governor to say that our hands are tied by the shortage of supply. I mean, we're getting a steady number of doses in every week, but it's not a real big number, and and it's not enough to really cut the National Guard loose and start jabbing thousands of people a day. So, So there's it's fair. I mean, I think we're just in a situation where most of the country is, is at the moment, the number of active cases, the number of new cases per day and the number of people hospitalized is on a downward drift. Although I think it's worth noting that all those categories are much higher than they were, say, four months ago. I mean, we're, we're down from where we were, but we're not down to anything like a low number. But 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 the trend it could be worse, but, and, and the vaccinations are getting going, but we're just not doing enough. I mean, there are just hundreds of thousands of people that are anxious to get the shot and, and they can't yet do it. And, and no, the state has not taken charge of it. They've turned it over to the pharmacy association and I think they're doing pretty well. I mean, to the extent they're able, but this is, this is something that isn't farmed out. I mean, just like the fed shouldn't have farmed it out to the States, the States shouldn't farm it out to pharmacies. The, State ought to take control and get it done. But Biden, Joe Biden has, has really been hopeful. I think he's set out a, a, a real plan uh, for trying to improve things. And he's talking about a much stronger federal influence in the process. And that's what you need in a major national disaster, be it a war or hurricanes or whatever. And, and so I, I think Joe Biden, the, the story of the week for me was, Was Joe Biden's really aggressive start as president and the number of things he's done and the the things, the way he's moved to reverse some of the worst things that Donald Trump did, he's off to a good start. Doesn't mean he's going to accomplish it all and he's going to be fought every step of the way by the Republicans. But I think he really made an impressive beginning.
0: All right, well, let's leave it there and move on to endorsements.
1: Oh, God, what have I been doing? I can't even. Oh. Oh well, no, I'm just I'm I'm reading I'm reading another Dave Robichaux novel. So James Lee Burke, the the, the new Iberia police detective, ne'er do well, reformed sometimes alcoholic, and I love uh, his Robichaux books. They're all formulaic. They just they're all kind of the same book with different names and slightly different characters, but. He, ha- he has maybe better than anybody I've ever read the ability to describe Louisiana as I remember it, because I grew up in that part of the country, and he talks about places and sites and things that, that are very familiar to me, and he does it in a way that really kind of captures the, the humidity and the smell and the seafood and the, you know and the, and the weird melting pot ethos that is southwest Louisiana. So I'm enjoying that.
0: Sounds great. Uh, I'm going to endorse the uh, newsletter today in tabs. It uh, it's something that existed for a number of years, maybe three or four years, and then went away three or four years ago. It's recently uh, been revived as a Substack newsletter. Uh, I think a lot of people probably read about the Substack model. Um, prominent journalists have have left uh, big publications to go at it on their own and. And make it on subscription revenue through newsletters. This one right now is free, though I think it encourages some donations and it may cost. I think I probably would pay if he turns it on, but it's uh, it's all about internet culture um, and with a kind of jokey sensibility. Um, this is just a bunch of links, really. And, you know, it's <laughs> this was these last couple of weeks have been. Um, and, and then the, the last couple of weeks, and all that we saw with the insurrection attempt at the Capitol, like internet culture is increasingly just culture in life. So it's, uh, it, it often, this newsletter often is uh, kind of has its finger on the pulse of what's going on and had all sorts of funny and insightful things about what's going on with GameStop and Reddit uh, recently. So if you just search for today in tabs, you'll find it. All right. Thanks for listening to all. Everybody stay safe and healthy out there. We'll be back. See you next week. Bye.